Hello and welcome to the Fancy Book of the Month podcast. This month's theme is horror. I'm spooky. I am I am Rachel and I am joined with Dan. Hi, I'm Dan Evanson. Nick. Nick here. Woo. And maybe and last but maybe least, Peter. I'm Peter. That's so harsh. <laughs> I don't know how tall Peter is. Oh, okay. We're going by uh, height. I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I lost that game. I'm shorter when I sit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you guys look like. I look shorter when I sit. I just told you. <laughs> That's all you need to know. <laughs> Wait a minute. Aren't we missing one? He, he shrinks and grows. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, Katie could not join us. She uh, texted me and said that um, she was looking in a used bookstore for the book of this month. But she found a black hardback with a tree embossed in the cover with no title. After she started reading it, she started seeing things. That sounds ominous. That's the and worst thing to see. She was, in, she was unfortunately admitted to an asylum. She should, be, she should be back next month, and she might make her presence known. Was the book bound in human skin? Because I've, I've lost my copy, and I've been looking for it. You know, it might have been. I don't remember. I'll have to Katie, take it up. If Katie. you can hear us in words <laughs> Peter about his lost book. He kinda wants that back. <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I don't hear anything. Maybe I don't know, maybe she's trying to reach out. I don't know. Anyways, does anyone have any um discussion about horror that they want to start with? Uh I wrote a horror book, you guys. I wrote one. It's available for sale now. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm sponsoring this episode. Uh, <laughs> our second uh, sponsor. That's awesome. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> Who was our first sponsor? You. That's oh. right. Uh, yeah, I wrote a book. It's called Dave Woke Up. It is actually the premise of the book is somewhat similar to what's happened to Katie. So she is the best marketing strategy I have right now. <laughs> um, and. Uh, yeah, it was, it's very like a, a sort of autobiographical too of like a guy working in an office setting who goes a little crazy because his job is so boring. So uh, luckily I don't have that life anymore because I've exercised it by writing a book about it and then got fired from that job. So Was, was the book involved in the, the firing, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, no, to- totally unrelated. I, I assume. maybe your boss like didn't like the way you wrote about him. <laughs> I'm sure she didn't like me in she general, so yeah. <laughs> I might have just bought your book right now. Oh, no. You know who else can buy the book right now? Everyone listening, you can buy the book right now. Be like Peter. Buy that book. Dave Woke Up by Daniel Levinson. Available on Amazon. I'll put the link in. uh, Be like me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be like you. (laughs) Thanks thanks for encouraging everyone in the creepiest way possible. But I want to be a cat. Meow. That's true. Wow, that's great. So, yeah, I'm actually, I think I might pick up a copy of that, too, and, and give it a read pretty soon with Halloween coming up. Thanks. Someone once rated it three stars and said it was the most mediocre book he'd ever read. So you guys are in for a treat. <laughs> what, See, what a plug. if I liked horror, I would read it. Also, I'm poor. <laughs> I'm sure we can donate a copy to your college education. Yeah, okay, okay, no, absolutely. On. Yes, you can have a copy for, for free. See, you guys should have waited. Uh, Jacqueline M. Jasek says, This book took many unexpected turns that it kept you on your toes and wondering. Very well written for a brand new author. Unique, fun, thrilling. The flow of the book worked pretty well. I loved the ending. Another unexpected part. Definitely give this author and this book a try. That's the there end. You go. That's, that's it. Yeah. I do have like some good your, reviews too, yeah. If you would like your name read on the podcast, review us on iTunes. <laughs> Leave us a five-star review on Amazon. <laughs> Are we available on Audible? Is that how we'll get Audible sponsorship finally, is just by putting ourselves on the service? God, I hope so. I'll tell you, the book I read this month was an audiobook, so I'm yet again trying. I'm trying so hard, Audible. This is the first book that I read that wasn't on Audible. I feel betrayed. <laughs> That's true. But really, didn't you betray Audible by reading up in person? When they get manga on the site, I'll I'll do that. But I don't think I so. Don't. 
I'm not sure how that would work for a visual medium, yes. That's because it's called an anime. That's true. This, this page is divided into seven panels. The first panel covers the entire page, while the six panels below it each cover half page width. In the first panel... <laughs> it's like uh, Netflix's descriptive audio. Yes. Just describing scenes to you. It's pretty... I'm, I'm actually on board Translator note, Kukaku means plan. I did not know that. I think I butchered that word. I apologize. It's all right. Let's, let's get back to horror a little bit here. Dan, I'm interested that you, you wrote a horror book, though, because one of the questions I kind of wanted to ask you guys about was, how do you write horror? What makes it different? There's two, two different ways. First being that you can just make it a tragedy, Right the expectation of a of an unhappy ending can sometimes help you get into that sort of horror mindset and is that like is that because it builds tension yeah and it helps set expectations you know with the idea that the wrong thing is going to happen and that is the intended way that the story is going to progress so but that comes from sort of a, a a narrative expectation on the reader's part right, right. they've they have enough I don't know, experience with stories that they think, okay, the way this one is reading, it sounds like it's going to all go bad. So I'm growing increasingly anxious, hopefully in a good way, the, as I anticipate things going all to hell. Right. And I think, you know, that you can get a lot of mileage out of that just by setting that up and then twisting it around, setting up unhappy endings that then reveal themselves to be happy ones. That's some of the best horror that I... I read this stuff that does that to me where I'm like, well, there's so no way this is going to turn out good. And then somehow it does. Interesting. So some of your favorite horror actually has happy endings. Yeah. There's Lovecraft country, which I think came out last year, which is a story set in new England, which is about uh, African-American people trying to live in a Jim Crow America in New England and different parts of the country and then also tinged with the sort of cosmic Lovecraftian horror. It is so effective because you're you're just it spends so much of its time just showing you the reality of the times and you're just like, well, there's just no way, even if they overcome these awful supernatural elements, the, the just human society will crush them. But finding a happy ending in those circumstances just makes for a really satisfying read. I believe that. I feel like a lot of people read horror to be scared, but I guess are you looking I mean that, for a happy That's ending? the second way I think to to write it is that you're really writing a thriller at that point and you just have a supernatural element to it and that kind of makes it horror. It's interesting cuz like when I think of like a horror movie for example, I think of jump scares and stuff like that and it, you really can't do that in a book and I feel like um <laughs> you really have to rely on I feel like you really have to rely on tension a lot more. No, I think you turn the page and then there is a picture of, of uh <laughs> Freddy from Five Nights at Freddy's or just just boo written in the largest font. <laughs> Babadook. <laughs> I hate the Babadook. Uh I prefer uh, horror novels that have happy endings. I, I don't like, you know, I'm going to, I read Stephen King uh, this week and he's sort of famous for, if not flubbing his endings, then having endings that people tend to dislike. And a lot of cases those mm. are because he's like, Hey, you know what actually happens in real life is nobody has an happy ending. And the story is never really over. If something really traumatic happens to you, you're probably not going to be an okay person, you know, five years after that happens. So sorry, <laughs> that's how the world is. There you go. <laughs> Those can sometimes be tough reads, especially because when I read horror novels like that, the worst part is that I feel like I have to stop reading anything for a little while afterwards just to like get over my own sort of psychic trauma of experiencing. Mm -hmm. You need recovery time. Yeah. It's amazing that it affects you that much. Where I, you know, it's the opposite when I read good fantasy or good sci-fi because you know those usually build on each other those those kinds of books usually send me off to find similar books and horror is the opposite oftentimes horror <laughs> you have to need a, take break. a break yeah it's funny i didn't know stephen king had that uh, reputation for for dissatisfying endings i when i think of dissatisfying endings i think of uh, apologies in advance uh, neil stevenson 
That's not a horror writer. It's not exactly to the uh, the theme for the day. I think they have the, that reputation for the same reason. I think mm. uh, that you know both of them are really great at those first two thirds of a book, <laughs> and then they are, have a little trouble paying off you know what they set up. It's almost mm-hmm. as if they think they set up something different. I mean Stevenson sometimes will the last third of his novel will be a second like a totally separate book that you know inserted itself in or he's like hey I want to know what happens to these characters you know 20 30 years mm-hmm. from the end of my actual story and then he'll put that book in you know like a mini sequel almost into the into the back end. Yeah. A king is uh, his issue is usually more like what I was talking about where well I would say earlier king like sort of 80s 90s king he he oftentimes would you know just leave people leave his characters in distress by the end and didn't mm-hmm. really give you a satisfying sure. ending or his ending was so off the wall and unconnected uh that it, it felt very dissatisfying like i don't know did you guys read um under the dome which i, 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 tra- I did That's, i watched I, the first episode of the tv show and dropped it yeah, Under the Dome is a weird run. I'm just I'm just gonna spoil Under the Dome for you guys for a little bit, and so readers, yeah. spoiler alert. But Under the Dome is about people that in a little town in New England, as all Stephen King is, and they <laughs> they find themselves trapped under this transparent dome, and they can't get out, and other people can't get in. Ninety percent of the novel is an amazing, amazing book about people trying to live under these circumstances and how their own secrets and the town's political situation affects them just trying to live and the ultimate solution of how they get out of the dome is unrelated entirely to the things that happen within the dome ultimately ends up being uh, weird alien children who are essentially holding a magnifying glass and burning the little ants that are humans so like that part of it doesn't come up until like the last 10 pages and then all of a sudden you're supposed to care about weird alien children and their and why they're murdering humans, sort of. So it just it, it just disconnect. <laughs> I had that feeling recently. I was playing a um, video game, and they just killed off a character I met two seconds ago, and I was supposed to care about that character's death, but I'm like, right. But I don't. <laughs> I don't at all. Oh, oh, the video game that I think of when I think of horror is. What was it called? It was a long time ago. Eternal Darkness. Anyone else play that? Oh, the Dennis Dyack classic, Eternal Darkness. Yes. I think of uh, Bloodborne, but that's just me. <laughs> Eternal Darkness is the game where you were playing it and your character is has a madness level. Yeah. And as they get oh, more yeah, mad, the, the effects would happen to you, the player, sometimes, and not just your character in the game. So, like, you'd get a screen that made it look like the game had restarted or shut down and yes. you get it give you just enough time to walk over to your N64 and all of a sudden <laughs> it would snap back and you're like, oh, you bloody bastard. Right. I was, I was about to restart this or see what was going, what was wrong when the, the game admitted that it was tricking me. Like for example, um, there's one moment, the game is what, 15 at least years old. So yeah, I, I feel like I, spoiler is uh, expired. We're past due, yeah. But like where you, you push the start button to go check your inventory and you go in and it's empty and you, you look around, like you move your cursor around and you can't find any of your stuff that you've been collecting. And it gives you just long enough to spike your adrenaline and panic before like your character holds their head and says, oh, this can't be happening. And then it all goes right. Oh yeah. Isn't the main character uh, like a young female, if I'm remembering correctly? Yeah, a young woman. And then it kind of skips back and forth through time uh, where you play other characters, I think, as she reads about them. Okay, this is the correct game that I'm thinking of. Yeah. So horror is this very interesting genre that stems like horror video games are probably at the most popular right now. It, are they? I think so. I, I see so many YouTubers in particular oh, playing horror games. The the jump scare was brought up earlier, and I have trouble thinking of that as actual horror. Well, no, there are still like some actually like very 
deep horror games that aren't just all jump scares. Uh, the uh, YouTuber that I follow right now, I think she's playing Sinking, Sinking City, Blair Witch Project, um, and maybe Call of Cthulhu. I think those are all horror games. I haven't watched them because I don't like horror that much. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've, I think I've seen a couple of those games too. Okay. Um, being played. It's just interesting how different mediums, they approach horror differently. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, you know, sure. Call of Cthulhu is having a little resurgence with its RPG. Uh, yeah. You know, I, Critical Role just did an episode of Call of Cthulhu. I think Penny Arcade is doing a Call of Cthulhu thing at the next PAX Australia. Huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really interesting take on the RPG because, you know, I think Dungeons & Dragons now is set up as a game where you very rarely are going to have character death unless you're really kind of going out of your way in the early levels. But right. Call of Cthulhu is a game where death is on the table and in fact expected by the end of that game you you will almost very rarely win a game of call of cthulhu right i think because they accept that horror premise of they're not necessarily happy endings to these stories yeah or it's um you know you go in expecting to come out insane and or dead yeah but the, ha- but the happy ending of just being the insane person at the end and not the dead person yeah <laughs> or at least i'm still alive so in terms of talking about horror, though, for books, we were talking about, you know, it's like, oh, you're writing like a thriller or like really just focusing on tension, which is, I mean, essentially the same thing. What are some other ways, I guess, that you can in a book do this, like demonstrating madness in the RPG um, Call of Cthulhu or in some of these video games that we've talked about? Is there a way that you can make like the reader feel like they're going insane? And do people do that? I'd like there to be. Go ahead, Rachel. I feel like that would just be um, similar to, like, Unreliable Narrator. And, and yeah. Mm. I haven't seen it personally. Uh, I tried to, uh, as I said before, I tend to avoid literature with horror, but I, like, vis- more visual stuff I get into, like manga or anime and stuff like that. Yeah, horror manga, I think they do a lot of that. But I guess that's not really what Nick, you're, you're just talking about words on the page trying to t- convince someone that they are crazy. I, I, I can't really think of any off the head. I've, I know, I feel like I know for sure that there is at least one out there where the narrator is so unreliable that they are. Uh, I wonder if maybe like Annihilation would be one like that. I really think Annihilation is pretty horror, although it gets, it, you know, it gets slotted into sort of the cosmic horror. Yeah, it's certainly uh, a, either cosmic or weird horror or something. I only read yeah. the first book. Yeah, me too. I did not terribly. I, you know, that is the kind of cosmic horror I do not like, um, which is that it gets to the end and it's sort of like, uh, was this even real? Is this was there a reason? Here's a bunch of stuff I didn't explain. I'm never going to see you later. (laughs) (laughs) This is what happened. No answers by. Yeah. I saw there was a premise for an anime that I saw that kind of did that. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It was just like this young girl creates a idyllic persona kind of because there's a zombie apocalypse going on and she just wanted to forget and her friends are trying to help her keep that bubble i guess hmm. oh interesting so it's she's like describing the world around her that is a zombie apocalypse but she's erasing the horror elements herself i feel like i've only seen the like promos for the anime it was like oh you see what she's seeing i guess and it's like oh yeah she's just at school things are happening at school but no it's really just a zombie apocalypse is going on and she's trying to forget that She's in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that would be super interesting to read. You know, somebody who's so in denial of what's actually going on. I mean, that's a pretty common horror trope of it's not real. If I if I don't look, if I <laughs> if I just keep ignoring it, it'll go away. So um, I found my book. Uh, you know that that human skin bound book, and uh, it turns out there's some new words appearing on it, just in blood as I watch. And they're signed Katie, so I think I'll, I'll uh, pose them to y'all and hopefully spread the curse. I mean, just share this information we can talk about. It. Oh, my um, gosh. The, uh, this entity purporting to be Katie uh, asks if the only difference between horror and thriller is uh, the supernatural. Uh, and then, like, what are the different subgenres of horror and what do they mean? Like, we were talking, tossing out the words cosmic horror, weird horror. Now, I, I don't know if how commonplace those are. I think cosmic horror sees a lot of use in, in language. I think weird horror, maybe less so. I just said words that maybe felt like they went together. 
I guess we were throwing around a lot of terminology here. Maybe we should try to really break it down a little bit more. I feel like weird horror comes from, like, weird fantasy. You know, that that's a subset of fantasy, right? I'm not making that up. I think so. Yeah. Honestly, I think you can add any adjective and they'll, you'll find some books that fit it. Like, there's... Weird fantasy sounds to me like it's similar to slipstream fiction, which is a slippery genre I've not really been able to pin down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it also branches into like what's sometimes called the new weird, which is, uh, you know, like uh, China Mieville, all, all the work that mm. he does. You, you know, if you've ever read Perdido Street Station, yeah. there's a lot of horror elements in that novel, yeah. but I, I feel like it falls pretty solidly in the in the fantasy genre, not necessarily horror. Although there are giant I mean, there are moths that eat yeah, people's brains. So. And body horror elements, because there are... Like, yeah. Whose heads oh, body horror is it's a, one of That's the, the whole subgenre. <laughs> so, yeah. I hate that so much. Body horror is, uh, for those of you who don't know, it is basically... The worst. It's, it's like stuff's <laughs> going on inside your own body, right? Yeah. It's, it's losing control of your own body, having your body like, turn oh. against you in alien ways. Alien is a great example of like, oh gosh, I am a host to some kind of weird parasite that's going to burst out of my chest and eat it. Fun fact. Right. Alien is the only horror movie my dad has ever watched. He refuses to watch anymore. Wow. Wow. Alien broke him. Yeah, I think it's genetic. I don't... Um, my, my buddy Adam on, on the other podcast, Why Is This a Thing, and Movie Hall of Fame, his favorite movie of all time probably is Alien. Um, he absolutely loves that series, and he never shuts up about it. So. It, it is a great <laughs> movie, although that reminds me. It is great. Brief, unaffiliated plug. Um, mm-hmm. There's a podcast called uh, The Film Reroll. Did I talk about this before? They basically, no. they basically take uh, the starting premise for popular movies assign characters to the the players and then play it out but with die rolls that generally change things and one of the ones that they did was alien and with the players in control of the various characters things went very differently yeah i remember you actually you did talk about this at one point okay i don't know if it was on the air or not but i remember you talked i think star wars yes they were doing rogue one i guess that's body horror but like I guess the other two we really mentioned that we should probably get into is like cosmic horror and supernatural. The traditional horror that we think of is the supernatural horror, which is maybe we can break it down further even from here. But when I think supernatural, I think, you know, you have like ghosts and witches and vampires and werewolves, all of the sort of stereotypical tropes. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, where horror butts up to fantasy is in supernatural Mm -hmm. fantasy. You know, you can have stories about ghosts and vampires and werewolves that are not horror. You know, I think like the Sookie Stackhouse True Blood stories are kind of that way. They're not really horror. They are more fantasy than anything else. Mm -hmm. But where you get horror is when there is a fear element, you know, that's introduced to those things, you know, that the, the werewolf or the zombie or the vampire is not a thing that you can talk to it, it does not necessarily represent like a human value and that's when it's horror when there's a, a component that exceeds human understanding something that's outside of human understanding that makes it so that it's horror because there's nothing to do at that point but run and right. scream so horror isn't as much about content as it is about the experience elicited from yeah. the reader i i think i think yeah perspective i think also fits a lot into it yeah and cosmic horror is that to like the nth degree, right? I just it think is Lovecraft. Uh, not only, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hate to give that guy credit for it, but I guess um, I'm sorry. He's usually attributed as the start. No, I mean that's, that's not an uncommon opinion, but but yeah, I mean, the, cosmic horror is when you are presented with something, and you know what Lovecraft loved to do was be like the, he beheld something which could not be described, and then he'd spend three pages describing it. <laughs> So it, it is usually the, the thing that stretches out its umbral tentacles uh, and then, you know, drove the person insane just by looking at it kind of horror. Well, and I think it's often supposed to, uh, yeah, like it, it involves other dimensions. It's supposed to give you the feeling that the cosm is so much bigger than you, which it is anyway, but gives you this feeling that it's just completely uncaring you don't matter, and it, this supernatural universe around you, can just crush you like an ant. At like any you point. stare into the abyss, and the abyss stares back, kind of thing. 
And then giggles and then right. eats you. Yeah. <laughs> King writes a lot of Cosmic Horror, I think, that doesn't get properly attributed as Cosmic Horror because he's typically known for more down to earth stories. But invariably, he will tell if you ask the source or the source of the horror is described in the book, it will reach into those sort of cosmic spaces. You know, if oh, people sure. are if people are out this weekend enjoying it, you will definitely get a taste of, of, of uh, some of King's cosmic horror. You're yeah, right. for sure. The end of it part two is very much cosmic horror. I think the thing with King is that he sort of is so big. He's sort of his own genre. You know, there are people <laughs> who I, I assume don't read a lot of horror, but they read King. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's the the Tom Clancy of, right. uh, of the horror genre. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you might, yeah, you might not read war novels, but you probably are at least exposed to Tom Clancy in some manner, or like John Grisham and all right. of those folks. Yeah. yeah, you may not like law procedurals, but you probably have heard of the Firm or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. As I like to call those authors, they're they're the ones that you buy their book in the grocery store. Yes, yes. right, you know? exactly, or the airport. <laughs> Right, exactly. Oh, God, I have eight hours to kill. Someone hand me a book. Anything by James Patterson. Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's another one. So are there any other... uh, Like subgenres? Subgenres that we haven't hit, I guess? Uh, One that we haven't mentioned that I like a lot, kind of, especially in, like, manga or anime, uh, is psychological. Mm. Yeah. 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 Now, I think that, is, again, is like, what I love about subgenres is that they all crisscross so much. Yeah. <laughs> but that one's sort of like body horror gets into that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a body horror to be psychological. We said the cosmic one is like, it drives you insane, but psychological in and of itself could be independent of both of those. My favorite example would probably be like Psychopaths, um, that anime, which I like. That, where what is the anime? It is where... Um, it's cops, and uh, they can arrest you for just having a different um, affect, or your mood is not perfect. You're, you're like, they're basically preventative um, copping. Okay. Yeah, so we're, li- we're like yeah. everyone is tracked by a, a massive computer system that can decide the, the chance of you becoming a criminal are too high, then you're arrested. Okay, so it's uh, Philip K. Dick's pre-crime minority report sort of thing. Yeah, there is a lot of like body horror and weirdness in that that show for sure. Uh, they have a, <laughs> like their murders are very similar to like Criminal Minds on that kind of grotesque um, aspect of like how the bodies are found. That's another thing is like whether or not horror needs to be graphic. Oh, interesting. I find myself somewhat ambivalent on that. I I don't mind the gore so to speak, in a book. But, I, you know, I don't need it. Yeah, I feel like it's a crutch for some people. Not that using it is always a crutch, but I feel like it can be. Yeah, it's an easy button. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, oh, you want to be scared? Let me describe 30 dead babies in a room to you. It's like, okay, come on. Like, you know, was that necessary? You lost me right. after the third dead baby. <laughs> right. I've actually read probably a lot of horror that maybe could have even used more where they're they're trying to just rely on tension, but it's it's it doesn't feel like there are any stakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, we were talking about manga. I think my favorite horror manga, and actually, I'm not sure if it goes all the way to horror or is just a thriller, but it's called Monster, which is about a guy who's a doctor who, as part of being a doctor, he saves a little kid's life, but then that little kid, oh yeah, grows up to be a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And also maybe the next Hitler or something like that. Uh, it's an amazing piece of work. Uh, grows up to be a serial Hitler. I yeah, think, I think it's that's the number one manga on my enemy list, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Naoki Urasawa, I think, is the guy that wrote it. Yeah, if that's a man, I'm not sure. <laughs> they. Yeah, I should ungender that. Yes. Do we want to move on to uh, reviews? I think we could probably follow them up with uh, trying to figure out what genre they fall into yeah i think we could fall down this hole all day so we probably should (laughs) as the current introductor i vote that nick goes first you want me all right all right you guys always throwing me under the bus that's our job otherwise (laughs) why am i driving this bus (laughs) now i'm i'm scared i hope you don't have a license not for a bus In typical fashion, I'm trying to be atypical by reading something that isn't really a book. 
I, I listened to, on Audible, The Dark Water Bride by Marty Ross. So hmm. if you guys have Audible, you know, like every month they have like you could pick two free audiobooks that are Audible originals. And they tend to be a little different. You know, some of them are almost more like a documentary style, but just audio. This particular one was essentially an audio recording meant to be like a theatrical play to a degree. So kind so, of like a radio play? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, we, you know, we've heard these types of things before, but very heavy on the sound effects, full cast. Neat. So an audio drama. Yeah, yeah. Earlier I was saying it, it can be kind of difficult to write horror because you can't rely on like jump scares and things like that. But this, this thing with the sound effects it uses, really good. I'll talk about the story a little bit, but really I think it's the way it's done more than what is said that makes it a great listen. So it takes place in a, a Victorian London. A Scottish girl visits London to go identify the body of her father. She ends up staying in the city to try and investigate how he died. And uh, the young officer who brought her from Scotland over to London to identify the body, he sort of, you know, he's a young guy, he's single, and he sort of starts to, you know, fall for this girl. So he decides to help her secretly against his own captain's orders um, try to investigate instead of sending her home like he should have. So... There's a uh, fictional river in this version of London called the Darkwater. Basically, what you, you come to find is that the river is essentially haunted by what they call the Darkwater Bride. It's a female that basically kills men, typically bad men who are like, you know, sexual predators or abusers, you know, physical abusers, stuff like that. And she sort of drowns them, but not necessarily even in the river. She has this ability to just sort of cause bubbling, dirty dark water to just suddenly fill their lungs and pour out their eyes and ears. And it's very, you know, the sound effects of water dripping and the ghostly sounds, um, the use of, like, echoes even, just really adds a very eerie element to every bit of this uh, this story. It felt evocative. Oh, my gosh. It was spooky. <laughs> so, yeah, if you... You know, just in time for Halloween, if you get a chance to pick this up on Audible, I highly recommend it. I've always been a fan of these sort of audio dramas like this. So is it Audible only or? I believe it's Audible only, like an Audible original. Oh, okay. So that's why I got it for free a few months ago, because it was one of those Audible originals they were trying to promote. So I I have another bloody message appearing on my skin. Oh, God. Um, Just sort of etching in there as though someone were, were cutting me. Uh, you sound so calm about it. It's very you strange. Skin, Peter? Sometimes. Um, oh, oh God. <laughs> but uh, so, can you imagine? I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Can you imagine uh, feeling the same way about the story in a written form instead of listening to the audio drama with the multiple actors and all the foley work that sucked you in? You know, like how might it have worked as a book? Yeah, I'm not sure it would have, um, not that it wouldn't have worked, I don't think it would have worked nearly as well, um, that's for sure. You know, the book is sort of two types, it's, it's, not only is it this sort of horror or spookiness, but it's also, um, essentially like a mystery, like, you know, they're trying to solve the murder of her, her father, even though the reader knows right at the beginning, sort of, what happened to her father, I mean, actually, you really don't. The first chapter opens up with just a giant mishmash of sounds and sound effects from throughout the book. And it's almost seemingly random, and you can hardly make sense of what's going on. And then if you listen to that first chapter again at the end, you can identify where each of those sounds came from throughout the story. You know, effects like that you really can't pull off. (laughs) You just can't in a written way. Also, because it was sort of solving a mystery, they're going around and there's all these false leads and stuff. I think reading it, it would have felt a lot more like a bunch of loose ends that didn't get tied up. Whereas in this audio drama fashion, everything was just, I don't know, just built a lot of tension. A lot of tension. Enough that you didn't feel the need to sort of follow every loose plot thread. At that point, I think you were more focused on, like, how is she going to get out of here alive? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they give you some direction as the reader that you would not get uh, if you had a book in front of you. 
So one thing I do want to say also is that this book is probably, I would consider it 18 plus. It's, there are some things in there that are pretty, you know, I mean, there, there are prostitutes and there are, there are some, some bits of sexual stuff. It's not too heavy. And the main character is, um, you know, she's sort of a lady, you might say, but so, you know, it's not necessarily focused around her, but you know, she is going to the darker parts of London, trying to track what her father was up to and you find obviously like i said the dark water bride kills men of bad reputation while her father was you know out as you come to find spoiler he's buying prostitutes out in london and um beating them and things like that it's pretty dark in that sense and pretty adult like i said a lot of tension really good use of sound it's an experience that's cool i love i love stuff like that there's a lot of like horror podcasts that have come out that I enjoy saving yeah. up for this time of year. Yeah. Oh, what's the, uh, the very, very famous one. I can't, I'm, it's slipping my mind right now. Welcome to night Vale. Welcome to night Vale. Yeah. That's, uh, Oh yeah. That's the, the one everybody mentions. Those things are becoming a lot more popular. And I mean, I think they've always been popular to a degree before television. Well, I think they fill some of the same space as audiobooks now. Uh, yeah, Welcome to Night Vale and their uh, productions like uh, Within the Wires are really spooky. I love Within the Wires. It's maybe my favorite podcast right now. Season four is coming out. All right. Rachel, roll the bones again. Tell us who's, who's, <laughs> whose review is coming up next. One second. Let me get my D4. We need to scry to discover what's happening. That is Peter... Peter, Peter, are you there? What? Peter, what? Did you die? What? No, I don't. I don't. Let me check. No oh, heartbeat. I'm good. Well, uh, before we get to Peter, <laughs> Nick, what was the book again? Yeah, the book was called The Dark Water Bride by Marty Ross. Okay. Highly recommend it. Okay. Well, uh, then I'll run up. Uh, I took a bit of a cop out, I guess. I kept failing to think of a horror novel specifically or horror something that I wanted to read, imbibe, digest. Instead, I just pretended that the thing I was already already reading satisfied the the requirements, Um, (laughs) which it's not entirely wrong. It's a fantasy novel. Uh, The book is called Princess of Blood by Tom Lloyd. He's an author I've been enjoying lately. It's the second in a, I believe, trilogy. The first one is called Stranger of Tempest. My my excuse for using this book this month is that it involves a uh, some sort of ancient labyrinth that opens up underneath a city. Horrors, they don't start pouring out, but people who creep into the labyrinth trying to explore for lost treasure end up almost inevitably getting eviscerated by as far as I can tell, giant ghost spiders. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, it's, that's traditional. Giant ghost spiders. <laughs> and when we follow the the main characters who find a way to delve more safely into the labyrinth beneath the city, well, it, it, it ends up letting them into what is effectively... Anyone Has anyone seen Cube? Yeah. Yeah. I know um, the general existence. Yeah, you don't need to watch it, I think, Rachel. It's if that's your if this is your attitude toward horror then, but it's, you know, it's basically a giant labyrinth of identical rooms where if you don't go the right way, it tries to kill you. And you have to try to figure out how to go the right way. So in a way, horror escape room labyrinth sort of thing that was couched inside a, a more uh, general fantasy novel. I've enjoyed it very much. I, I've been looking at this series as something that I could make a role-playing game out of. It keeps, it keeps striking me as having elements that I want in a role-playing game, such as magical guns, mage guns, they call them, which you load with a single shot each time, so it's, it makes each shot kind of count more, and the magical bullets, so to speak, have different effects depending on if they were made by an ice mage or a fire mage or etc. That could be fun. Yeah, well exactly. I, I just I really like that sort of specific resource management is the wrong term that 
puts me in mind of, you know, counting every arrow, that sort of thing. But I, I, I there's something that speaks to me about having just one, you know, shot and it has to be the right kind. Yeah. So we got to follow a, a team of mercenaries and, uh, and tomb delvers as they explored this labyrinth and tried not to die and tried to, uh, survive the other people also trying to explore the labyrinth so that they could find all the treasures for the oppressive military religious order that wants to possess them all. You know, it was fun. I enjoyed it a great deal. I'm looking forward to the third one. I'm noticing you have like a a type of book that you like to read. Uh Uh-oh. I feel like you often follow like mercenaries Okay, well, that's true. The last book I talked about was The Black Company, wasn't it? I feel like the last couple. Shoot, what was before that one? Hmm. Uh, oh, uh, it was uh, the R.A. Salvador, the, the Crystal Shower. Oh, well, there's nothing nothing mercenary about that. That's, Maybe it was that's the first just one. 100% classic fantasy. Well, if only I could remember what I read. That would be nice. That would really help this conversation. I mean, we've done s- so many episodes. How can you recall? It was a land fit for heroes. Thank you. A land... How can I have so many? Um, okay, that's true. And also, your role-playing game is like... Um, well, there are no mercenaries. It's, it's No, no, all... no, but diving into the tombs. Oh, for sure. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's just as you were describing it, I'm like, oh, this definitely sounds like something Peter would love. Like, it's just based on the limited information I have about it. It's you. possible I have a type. I'm not sure. The Ouija board next to me is asking me a question from the great beyond. Why do you have a Ouija board next to you? <laughs> Why don't you? I'm going to ask this question. How big of an impact does magic have on the world? Uh, well, and the answer ends up being just uh, massive because uh, the only way you can make these mage bullets is by using these ancient artifacts that are considered to be uh, fragments of the dead gods which is why these religious orders hoard them, both because they're sacred objects in their faiths, but also because having these artifacts lets you make mage bullets, which then lets you uh, basically dominate the world militarily. It sure is convenient that pursuing one's faith gives one temporal power enough to conquer nation states. (laughs) Does that also imply that they're, they're finite? Um, I don't think, as far as I understand, because the mechanism hasn't been deeply explained, as far as I understand, the ancient fragments are not expended in the, in the process. They're sort of a catalyst or a, a focus. Got it. Uh, so I would, it sounds like a thriller, kind of, if you had to put a, like a genre on it, like a thriller uh, fantasy. If I had to, I would say, uh, sure, tense thriller fantasy-ish. Ish. 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 Yeah, I, I'm just going to call it, it's, it's in the ish genre. That's, it's, it's all, it's John-ish. John Grisham? Did you say John Grisham? <laughs> I did not, but. Is there, is there a long legal procedure in the middle of the book? <laughs> I kind of want to see that now but not enough to actually look for it. It sounds a bit too like it's got the the sort of deadly maze. God, what's the word? I'm forgetting all the words. The uh, the deadly labyrinth that's common to all those John Grisham novels? No. <laughs> like no. a dungeon crawler kind of? Uh, you know, it's a trope. There's a deadly maze trope made famous in sci-fi um, with the book Diamond Dogs by Alistair Reynolds, you know, where there's like a tower and puzzles must be solved the to old- progress. Unfortunately, the only maze book I can think of is the Maze Runners trilogy. Oh, sure. Well, there's also um, the Andrew Rowe book that we both read, Rachel. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, significantly Advanced Magic, your Arcane, Arcane Ascension. Ascension series, right? Yes. Oh, I love that book. That's a great book. Yeah, so that's another great example. It's very much that sort of, here's a bunch of puzzles for the main character to solve in a, in a very like Dungeons & Dragons sort of dungeon crawl my friend, my D&D friend, uh, is going to force books upon me that have a very similar vibe where like, the, they're building the dungeon up and the dungeon is actually a character and stuff like that. Oh, neat. Yeah, he, he bought some uh, lit RPGs at um, the con we were recently at. What con was that? Dragon Con. 
Oh, fun. I heard good oh, things. Oh, the con. Jeez. I've still never been. Yeah, me neither. Well, I mean, would love to it's go. on the wrong side of the country for me. You go. You can go to the other, the con, Peter. Yeah, I was at PAX last weekend. That's true. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Anyways, I think we wrapped up on Peter's book. Do you want to, uh, do you want to, what book did you read, Peter, for like one more time? Okay, for like one more time, the book that I read was called Princess of Blood by Tom Lloyd, sequel to Stranger of Tempest. I, I did very much enjoy it. I think both the two books uh, that I've read so far, I feel like they started a little slow, but I'm glad I kept going. Like the the author it likes to play with starting you right off in the action or some sort of you know, high action moment and then jumping back two weeks or a month to, so, to show you how you led up there. And I find, I don't find that inherently frustrating, but I, something about the way he's doing it makes it harder for me to kind of just settle in with all the characters. But I'm glad that I pushed through that because I really did enjoy the, the overall story. Nice. All right, all right. Rachel, grab your pushette. <laughs> well, I guess I'll go next. So, uh, preface this, I read a manga, so I need to do some general terminology so people aren't confused, manga, or understand, or, like, been in that genre, or that genre, that medium, excuse me. Uh, the first term, I guess, is shonen, which is just a genre of uh, manga, where it's um, for the demographic of typically younger males, and I think... I think that's the only term. Uh, please stop me and if you find that there's a term that you guys don't understand. What does term mean? <laughs> it's the uh, it's like it's for like a school term. You go, that's a period of time. Oh shoot! Now I'm confused. <laughs> the thing that means the thing. What does thing mean, though? Oh no, Peter! Did you get <laughs> rebooted? Did I? Oh, yeah, I'm okay now. Reinstall. That's Peter right. needed an update. Reinstalling <laughs> dictionary. <laughs> Anyways, I read Dead Man Wonderland. I read the first five volumes of that. And um, that and that should cover the first, the, the entire anime season. I did that so I can be, um, be like, uh, say that I hated the end of the anime and um, the manga has a much better ending. That is my opinion. It had a terrible ending. There's so many loose ends. <laughs> you know, Rachel, you've talked about a few um, like animes or mangas um, so far on the podcast. This is the first one that I've actually watched, I think. So you've watched this anime? Yeah. So what did you think of the ending? Oh, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't remember the ending. When I watch things like this, I binge watch them. And so it's like in one ear and out the other. But I remember bits and pieces, and I do remember enjoying it. I was so mad at the ending. I just re I read the entire manga because I wanted to know what happened. Yeah, I, I've also seen this anime, and I confirm the ending is not good. That's because they, there's 13 volumes, and they only did five. From my understanding, that is um, forced upon them based on the way that animes are made and funded. It's yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, they you know, didn't get enough. It's, it's just one of those one of those things that the medium kind of forces upon the writers a little bit. Anyways, so Dead Man Wonderland is about the main character, Ganta, and his class is obliterated in front of him, and he gets blamed for it. Yay, justice system. <laughs> and he gets put on death row at the first uh, privatized prison in Japan, Dead Man Wonderland, which is very much like, kind of like a circus, but with prison labor, kind of. Prison circus. Uh, and the entire time he's trying to figure out what happened to his class, why was, why is his entire class obliterated, who is the red man that did it, and try to win his freedom and escape the hellhole that is the Dead Man Wonderland. Uh, later there's a very interesting magic system with blood magic, which I loved. Okay, I will say it's kind of, it's very grotesque, but it's not horror-ish sometimes, it's more a thriller. That answers my, my question that was kind of floating in my face, which is, you know, what makes it horror? But you're saying it's it's less of a horror book and more of a grotesquery thriller? Yeah, it's a mystery fil fil um, thriller with uh, grotesque themes because they use blood magic. People get ripped in half with blood magic. Got it. Yeah, so that's like insane fantasy element. I mean, 
it's hard to say it's not a horror when like the very first thing that happens is a schoolroom full of children is uh, horribly murdered by a man in a red cloak. Yeah, very bloody. And I would definitely say this is 18 plus because later in the manga, there's very sexual themes that are not suitable for all ages. It's funny. We keep we keep saying 18 plus because of sexual themes. Sex is way nicer than violence. I would rather we we say things are, are only for adults because of all the people getting hurt rather uh, than because has, of the sex. I see you take the European view. Very much. Uh, mine also has rape in it, so that's why I said Oh, that. absolutely. Sexual violence, sexual abuse, which we heard some of uh, in Drowned? No, Dark Water? The Dark Water Bride, yeah. Thank you. Um, that absolutely should be, you know, not for children. But yeah, I don't yeah. need to go off about sex versus violence and. Yeah, I should I should have had a better term- terminology for that. Yes, it's sexual violence that it's a small amount, but it's still there. So it's definitely eighteen plus, and definitely eighteen plus because of all the blood and gore that's happening. Mm-hmm. Things I didn't like, uh, all the shonen tropes that appear that I hate. Yep. The one of the one of the main characters is like afraid of girls for reasons that I don't understand and kind of hate, but. Uh, uh, the warden's character design I don't like. It's the big boob anime girl that, but she's really awesome. Except that she has giant boobs, and I hate it. She has impossible breasts. Yes. Yeah, and the the male gaze kind of dominates the camera work mm-hmm. of that show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you something, Rachel. Do you think that the book sort of relies on like that sort of sexual stuff or the overuse of blood? as a crutch or does the story hold up by itself the blood thing is i feel like it's necessary because how the powers work in the system but uh the sexual stuff is more for like the sexual violence is backstory which probably could have been changed but uh it's mostly backstory for one of the villains to explain why he's insane interesting yeah so it might have been a crutch i'm not that good with telling if things were bad (laughs) Uh, well when you got to the end rachel did you feel like it made the story better or that, you know, you could remove all of it and you'd have essentially the same level of enjoyment. The blood was good to the story. The sexual stuff, like in most cases, probably could have been removed. Sure. The uh, the words, the letters on my screen seem to be rearranging themselves and then dripping blood also. Uh, A lot of blood. Oh, my God. Well, I don't know. It seems to be in theme. Your table must be soaked. Well, that's the funny thing. When it gets down to the table, it just kind of gets reabsorbed. Then, and then the little Lego person sitting under my screen is like drinking it up. That's normal, right? That's what Legos are for. Okay, good, good. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's what they're making over in Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> Blood-eating toys. Denmark, home of body horror. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so the my my corrupted computer screen is asking me whether it would be considered a psychological horror, this, uh, this manga. Yes, I would say there's a battle element that's in the first five volumes, which is like a death battle kind of thing. Like a shonen fight manga sort of normal for that uh, as a tournament arc uh, so psychological elements to the characters but not necessarily intrinsic to the plot yeah not in the first five volumes i think that gets on a little later but i don't want to really stress on that because i didn't read it for this podcast and i guess since we're wrapping up i read dead man wonderland and i don't want to say the name uh, the author's names because i'm afraid i'm going to mispronounce it horribly if you can type it in i can probably do it for you i can't say run and get them they're over in my book Oh boy, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's a it's a lady because <laughs> I can see a picture of her. Oh, I didn't uh, realize she was female. <laughs> uh, Jinsei Kataoka. Jinsei Kataoka. Oh, I was right on. Yeah, Jinsei Kataoka. And illustrated by Kazumi uh, Kanado. Nice. I apologize. Nice. I just have a terrible time with pronouncing anything. That's no, why I never want to get that right. Yeah. It's all good. I have a Japanese minor, so. Where do you keep this person? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I told you, you would escape. Well. (laughs) Now the FBI is going to raid my freaking house. Thanks, Peter. Jesus Christ. High five. (laughs) It's interesting that it's written, uh, the story is written by a female and it's very catered to the male gaze. I guess that could be the industry. For sure it is, yeah. 
It's it's more than just the industry. It's the it's the country. It is the nation of Japan. Yeah. Still. I mean, there's some cultural impact there, but yeah, I mean, it's common and, and demanded by publishers. Yeah. It's getting better, I think. That's very Slowly, unfortunate. You know. There's at least admitting that it's maybe not the best thing. It hasn't stopped or really slowed down or anything like that. But, uh, you know, conversations at least happen around it. Well, uh, Rachel, uh, as the sole survivor, I look to you, my special friend. Is it my turn to talk about a book? I say yes. All right. Well, I uh, I felt uh, it would be remiss if one of us didn't talk about Stephen King uh, during this. So I read a Stephen King book called The Outsider. And I guess I, I want to preface it a little and talk about sort of Stephen King, his weird career, <laughs> as long as it's been, you know, he started out like in the 60s and 70s and he's still writing pretty strong today. He a lot of his earlier books, as we talked about it, like at the beginning of the show, have um, they've been very, very popular, you know, among readers, but have had uh, varying levels of critical success. Uh, obviously, there's like a new movie out the weekend that we're recording this, which is It Part Two, which is one of his bigger successes, uh, I suppose. One of his bigger books, too. Yeah, it's, it's a huge book. Huge <laughs> uh, this one. Isn't the ending of It Part Two really weird? Well, the In ending the book? of the book is really weird. Yeah, the book, excuse me. Yeah, my wife and I actually went and saw the movie last night. The ending of the movie is normalized. Actually, they make a point through the whole thing to sort of talk about how endings are bad a lot of times and how it's tough to have a good ending to a story. They talk um, about that in the movie? In the movie, yeah. Well, well the, uh, one of the kids grows up to be an author. You know, oh, yeah, Stephen King can't, yeah, also yeah. cannot help but put himself into his own books. And so, yeah, correct. That. you know, the Sometimes author is... Yeah, the author is con- <laughs> like I think one of the opening scenes in the in the movie is the author on the set of a movie about a book he wrote being told oh by the director that the ending of his book is terrible and he needs to rewrite it for the movie. Yeah. Wow. So it's a whole thing. And then Stephen King himself appears in the movie. So it's as St- so as Stephen bad. King as a as a pawn shop. So a kind of Stephen King playing sort of a character that he wrote about like in needful things in it, the movie. Yeah. It's, it's That's, Stephen King. So many layers. Yeah. He wraps himself up in his own. I mean, is it, context. it doesn't sound worse than the gunslinger series where at some point the protagonists flee across dimensions and end up taking refuge with Stephen King in his house in Maine. Yep. I'm getting a headache. That's called Stephen King. Oh no! Uh, I also heard that like the ending of it, the book was very uncomfortable. Yes, yeah, I, <laughs> it's really it's a bad ending to that book because I are think we still like talking about it. Or are we talking about no? It? We're talking about it. Yeah, okay. I will talk about. I, I want to talk about this early version of King's work because I want to talk about how much he's improved in those most latest stuff. So yeah, the ending of it is really bad there's like uh like basically the all the characters have an orgy at the end it's very it's weird because they're like 13 oh. at the time i think so it is a very strange it, ending it to is, that book. it's a strange inclusion to be sure i mean listen let's the elephant in the room of stephen king is that he did a lot of drugs while he was writing those books and uh i don't think they helped in some cases uh, no, I mean, I mean, if we were talking about cosmic horror earlier, if uh, you said that they normalized it a bit for the movie, but the book, at least they end up having some kind of extra dimensional battle with the cosmic spider thing that wants to eat everything. Yes, I won't say that that's not in the movie because <laughs> it kind of is. But it is, I feel like the movie does a much better job of, well, I think the movie does its better job by updating to sort of present day context and tropes, building on some of the more popular recent horror movies mm-hmm. to, to make its case. Ultimately, you know, I just wanted to talk about King in terms of what he's done and how this book sort of fits into that, The Outsider. Which is interesting because, you know, I approached this book, uh, I assumed it was a standalone, and it's technically not. The story of The Outsider is feels very familiar as it gets started, which is, you know, there's a kind of quaint town. I think it is actually in 
uh, Oklahoma this time, you know, one of the rare. What? Yeah. I mean, King has actually left New England in many of his more recent books. And in this one, you know, there's a guy who is sort of this beloved figure in the town. And then suddenly he is arrested and convicted of a, a terrible crime, one for which he immediately has an alibi of, which is very strange because there is an abundance of physical evidence that suggests he actually committed this crime, even though there's also an abundance of physical evidence that suggests he was not even in town during the time that crime was committed. And it leads to a really super interesting story about, you know, the the idea of like what justice is and can a person who has been very publicly outed as the prime suspect of a crime, you know, sort of someone who loses their innocent until proven guilty, like the capability of really even having a fair trial after it's he's been so publicly accused. Can someone like that really get justice? And that constitutes like the first half I'd say of the book It is really like almost a crime procedural of, you know, this person who seemingly led like a really nice life and then has their life obliterated. Right. Suddenly um, are they, are they actually already being punished for the crime that they haven't been convicted of? And King does a really nice job in this one of, really leading you on to to like you're not sure really kind of up until the halfway point you know is this guy actually guilty you know even though you spend a lot of time with him and his family and you sort of see the stress on the family as things progress that makes you want to believe that like he is not guilty of what's happening you also know you know like this is a Stephen king novel so it's entirely possible that the very nice person that you're reading about is actually a secret monster you know that would not be unusual in King's story. Uh, And then it kind of hits a halfway point and there is a massive twist that I won't talk about, but it changes the nature of the story. And that's when you realize that this novel is in fact not a standalone novel as characters start to come in from the Mr. Mercedes series. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those three books that King wrote about a serial killer. Um, The name rings a bell, but I haven't read them. Yeah, it's another one where it's pretty recent. I think like 24. 14 2015 was like around when those books came out you know it's an, it's another interesting series where it starts out as uh, almost like a police procedural about serial killers and then eventually you know adds in in the second and third parts of the trilogy the supernatural elements that king is kind of famous for and, and this one does the same but in miniature where halfway through the book you know the true villain of the piece is revealed and and it's not human i feel like it's okay to say that like that's not really a a spoiler because of the setup even though it's still really enjoyable to read that sort of opening half as the police procedural you know like from the get-go i mean the front of the book is a upside down (laughs) sort of shadowy figure with glowing red eyes you know that figure did not appear until sort of halfway through the book and you get characters coming in from this Mercedes series that kind of introduce and explain that uh, supernatural element in a very funny way. Uh, They actually, the primary piece of evidence they have, the sort of the thing that explains the supernatural element to the Scooby-Doo team is an old 70s Lucha Libre movie where there's a bunch of uh, female Lucha Libras uh, who are battling the monster in, in in this very strange video that they watch and is described in the book. This other series that gets tied into it, does it sort of explain what really happened just by being in the same universe? No, I mean, it does what King does a lot when he's tying books together, which is you don't really need to have read the Miss Mercedes series to know what's going on. You would give you some background on a particular character that comes in, but that's not really necessary to read and enjoy uh, this book. Okay. You know, it was kind of the same for the Dark Tower series that King wrote, which is it's sort of the series that ties all his other books into a continuous universe. But if you haven't read any of those other books, the Dark Tower series is entirely enjoyable. And if you read those other books and have never touched the Dark Tower series, you're going to be perfectly fine. I, I might disagree about that Dark Tower assessment. I- you can miss a lot of the sort of Easter egg nature of some of the stuff that goes on in the dark tower. But I think the events of the dark tower kind of stand on their own. Even if you don't necessarily, you know, like when they introduce a particular character, you don't have the full history of where that person comes from. 
you don't necessarily need it because they tend to be tangential to the story. Well, uh, for me, without going too deep into it, for me that also left them those aspects that I didn't understand very well. It left them kind of meaningless when they were supposed to have some sort of impact. I, I found the last three books of that series nearly incomprehensible. So I would say then probably in this case, it might bother you immensely to have this external character come in who you are supposed to know something about. I feel like it definitely would want you to have a certain emotional reaction to this character appearing in the story, uh, which you will have no context for uh, unless you are familiar with the, the Mr. Mercedes series. Yeah, I might not enjoy that. I, however, having read the Mr. Mercedes series, enjoyed it immensely. And oh, it was good. a nice surprise uh, in the book. So if you're a fan of Stephen King and have kept up with uh, all, most of his latest stuff, you probably really like this one. And as endings go, it's a pretty good one. I won't say whether it's happy or not. Uh, like Stephen King, I think it's he does a good job of showing the cost of the ending that that he gives. But overall, you know, I did not feel like I usually do the need to sort of recover from this book by the end, even though it's a pretty great horror novel. Did it make you actually scared? I'll tell you the scariest parts is actually watching this guy's life get torn apart by our legal system. That is the scariest part of this book. The supernatural elements. I just, uh, I don't typically find those things to be terribly scary. For me, it's much scarier when like the true cosmic horror here is like the thing that is bigger than the characters is the sort of crushing mechanism of the legal system more than it is the weird monster that's trying to, eat children i really like that as an assessment actually the the true cosmic horror all along was our justice system (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's weird because i think one of the biggest criticisms that people probably have about stephen king's old work is he oftentimes ignored a lot of the politics of the time and focused more um, specifically just on character. And in this, I think he finally is doing like a really nice balance of some political commentary and metaphor, uh, while at the same time just having a really nice horror element to it. Excellent. I think, is that our show? Does anyone have any last comments? Do we need to consult the beyond? No? Okay, I think I think we're okay. I didn't hear anything from the beyond. I can't see any more messages. My eyes are just full of blood, so I'm I have no more nothing more from the beyond. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well you just gotta put the little Lego guy on your face. I'm sure nothing bad'll happen. Probably won't drink all your blood, just the excess part. Well, since Peter is drowning, I guess we have to say goodbye. And let's one more last thanks to our sponsor, uh, Dave Woke Up by Daniel Evanson, which you could buy on uh, Amazon. Anyways, so you can read our reviews on too many uh, thoughtsmedia.com or our individual Goodreads, maybe. I don't know. And you can check us out individually on Twitter. And that's it. Bye. So long. Bye. Happy Halloween. I'll feed us in. Happy Halloween. And next month, we hopefully will have our ghostly Katie back. And remember, next month, we're going to be doing steampunk. 